This is Common Decency, a Nomad London podcast. Checking in. Welcome to Common Decency. I'm Howie Khan, and I'll be talking with leading artists, performers, writers, and more, all about what makes their work matter, how it's made, and the ways in which they grapple with their process and their outcome. On this episode, we welcome the great Martin Parr. Martin's remarkable photography captures the tension between humor and compassion in the lives of everyday people all around the world, but especially in Great Britain. Coming up, Martin talks about his obligations to his subjects and his craft, what motivates him decades into his career, and why doing his job now is harder than ever before. Martin Parr, welcome to the Common Decency Podcast. Hi. Hi. You're a legendary photographer. You've been shooting and documenting British life for 50 years. This has been a strange year, a year of lockdown. What's this year been like as a photographer? It's been a bit frustrating, really, because uh, the main sort of calendar of events that I would go to, anything from uh, you know horse racing through the, say, Glastonbury Festival, uh, St. Paul's Carnival, all those sort of things have disappeared. So, it, you know, you make the most of it, but it's been a bit frustrating. I mean, the premise of, of your work is essentially to shoot and find the jewels of everyday life. And everyday life has not been happening. That's right. Well, it, it has, but it's behind closed doors. Correct. But as well as photographing Britain, you know, I, I must point out that I've photographed all around the world, you know, so uh, anywhere from America to China to Japan, Australia, uh, although I'd say out of all the subjects, the one I keep returning to probably most of all is indeed the UK. Has this year given you time to reflect on the meaning of your work and what the work the should be? Of life. The meaning of life. We've had time. I mean, yes and no. I mean, part of me sort of quite likes not traveling so much, but the other half of me, which is probably the bigger half, gets very frustrated because uh, this is the life I've been used to for the last 30 years or so. So yes, of course, you have time to reflect. You have time to you know, catch up with all those things like going through old contact prints, sorting out the archive, all those things that you keep putting off so you can catch up with them. But ultimately, you know, while I can, because I'm 68 now, so I'm getting on a bit, so I won't be able to shoot pictures forever. Uh, and I feel these, uh, these years of potential you know, high production are sort of slowly disappearing in front of me. It might be a super interesting year to photograph, however, kind of everybody coming out of their well, bubbles. Indeed. I mean, I have got, uh, you know, I do, I do go and photograph people with masks on in the street because we'll look back on this in, say, 10 years' time and think what a strange period that was. Uh, and therefore, just seeing everyone in masks would be of, of some interest. So I fully recognize there's some things that we should be doing as we go along and all the COVID notices everywhere, keep the distance. You know, this is all interesting things to document. But ultimately, it doesn't compensate for the lack of events and the lack of people. I want to review your career a bit as I've been looking at photos that you've been taking since 1972 from the Presswich Mental Hospital series onward. You've described that as, as the moment that your career took off. And I'm, I'm wondering why you felt that way. I guess it's the first uh, longer term project which uh, you know, I actually engaged with in a meaningful way. So in that sense, uh, it's not, I had been photographing for a few years before that, 
but I never found something that I felt as strongly about. And that's that strong level of commitment and connection that helps to make work come alive. So that's the thing, if you like, I discovered. And in a sense, I hope I haven't looked back after that. What did you learn from an early time about connecting with your subjects and what relationship you have with them or not? Is it about being a fly on the wall? Is it about getting to know people? What degree of of intimacy is part of your practice? I'm sure it varies from shoot to shoot. I mean, sometimes you need more intimacy than, than others, you know. So when I've been working, say, back in Hebden Bridge in the 70s, you know, you got to know people very well. Likewise, when I've been recently doing pictures in the black country um, for multi-story, you know, you got to meet people, you talk to them, and therefore getting to know them was part of it. If I'm doing a project on tourism, which I often do, because uh, I'm fascinated by that, you don't need to meet people. You're, you're just out there with everyone else. They've all got their cameras, they've all got their smartphones, and you're just another photographer. So different projects have a, a different way of relating to the subject. When did you do your first tourism-related project? Oh, I did that way back in black and white in the, um, in the 70s, in fact. So it's, if you like, it's one of these projects that's never gone away. I just moved it to color, and then, uh, you know, I've been shooting the same subject ever since. And we'll continue to shoot that until I drop dead. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know when that's going to be, so I can't tell you the exact timing. Well, I, hope you're around for, I hope you're around for a while. Oh, so kind, Harry. So kind. <laughs> Uh, how has tourism changed since the 70s? What have you noticed? What do you like to capture? Well, the big difference now is, of course, the smartphone and uh, everyone's doing selfies. So, in fact, I've done a recently a book about selfies uh, called Death by Selfie because uh, the country in the world where more selfies are taken than anywhere else is India. And I've been to India and photographed people doing selfies there and put them and, and a few other selfie pictures into a book which has the same shape and size as an iPhone. Uh, and that came out, I think, about two years ago now. Yeah, a small edition published by a Japanese publisher. Do you take selfies? Not really, not unless I ha- you know, I'm asked to. But no, I, I don't bother. What do you think your role is as a documentarian? Well, I sort of feel... Uh, it is a sense of responsibility, if you like, to sort of uh, capture the times we live in and do it in my particular way. And I guess, you know, I'm really thinking about the archive that I'm building up. This is all housed in the uh, Martin Parr Foundation. And in a sense, there's a sort of responsibility to try and understand who we are, how we've changed, and to document this. Do you think the role of the artist is different than the role of the documentarian? Uh, Well, I mean, uh, I don't think of myself as an artist, but of course I have my images um, shown in art galleries uh, and I'm very happy for that. I I think the great thing about photography is it's high and low culture. So the same image can be on a um, gallery wall at the Tate in Britain and that same image can be used in a magazine and it can be used on, say, um, a jigsaw puzzle cover. I like that idea that it, it can be high and low culture at the same time. One of my favorite series that that you put together was the work you did surrounding the Yates Wine Lodges in 1982 and, and 1983. I love photos of public spaces where people eat and drink, and the Yates Wine Lodges, I believe, were the, the largest chain of, of pubs in, in the UK. I can't imagine that's still true because something like that just doesn't hold. Uh, what inspired you to do that kind of work, and what did you learn doing it? Well, Yates's were a very interesting company. They They... You, you know, they, they did things like sell sardines and brown flour 
uh, it, it was uh, temp, you know, moderation is too temperance was their uh, catchphrase. They're only in the north <laughs> of England. They all had this great sort of feel and character. Uh, uh, now it's all changed, of course, and they, no longer are they the biggest chain. That's now goes to someone called Weatherspoons, but um, and they're all over the country now. But so there's probably about the same number, but you'll get them in the big, you'll get them in London, you get them in Blackpool. Previously, they were just in the north of England. So I decided to take it upon myself to go to every single Yates's, which is what I did, uh, and document them. How many were there? Something like 26, I think. Yeah. How long would that have taken you? Uh, it's a good question. I can't really remember. It's a long time ago, maybe uh, over a period of 18 months. It's a great idea. I'm a big fan of, of anything that's completist in nature and that, that covers all of something. It's more interesting than just one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I agree with you. So we're on the same page there, Harry. And there's a marathon quality to it also. It's like you, you set out to kind of run this long race and, and getting through it becomes very important to the work, to the body of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing you've you've covered that I find very interesting is the the shopping habits of people in Manchester, especially covering things like boutiques and grocery stores. Do you find that gaining access to these realms has become different over the years where it was easier to just walk into a place in 1982 or 83 and start shooting film at that point versus now? Can you just walk into, you know, do you just walk into places? Do you seek permission ever? Yeah, I mean, if you're if you want to photograph a supermarket or a shop properly, you you have to get permission these days. It, so it has become more difficult. There's no question about that. And once you get a, a multi-story chain or a supermarket chain, you, you know you can't just go to the local store. You have to then go to the uh, PR office and you have to find the right person. They may say no. They, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So it becomes increasingly more difficult. In the eighties, it was more innocent and. Uh, uh, I'd say generally photography is becoming more difficult. In fact, I'm glad I'm at the end of my career rather than the beginning because I imagine in years to come it'll get even more difficult as uh, you know the, the civil rights that we all have and the public rights you know start to evaporate. I was looking at some of your food photos recently. You know, shots of everyday things: eggs, bagels, mm-hmm. butter, donuts. What are some of your favorite foods to shoot and, and why? Or are you just endlessly curious about, a, you know, any, any mundane dish? Well, generally speaking, you'll find that uh, junk food makes better pictures than posh food. The danger with posh food, it just looks like yet another restaurant spread in a, mag- in a posh magazine. Whereas junk food, when you see it in, in real life, it looks quite dramatic. So, yeah, I'd say that the cheaper, the better for, for the picture. As a photographer, your color palette's always been really unique and, and sort of precedent-setting in, in a lot of ways. There's a lot of Martin Parr copycats now. How would you describe it? Well, it is indeed uh, quite bright. Uh, it, it was brighter, in fact, when I was shooting with film, because film with flash uh, you know, really did give you strong saturation. Now the palette's calmed down a bit. As, you know, as I'm getting a bit older and a bit more mellow, uh, I mean, it's still there. I still love flash, what it does to pictures, but I don't necessarily use it all the time. So I'd say, in a sense, I sort of took the uh, palette of commercial photography and just applied it to the documentary. It's pretty straightforward, in fact. So I can hardly say I invented this. I just sort of, if you like, reapplied it in my own case with, with my own work. I think I'm, that's a very modest way of, of looking at it, but I, I appreciate it. I, I think that, you know, some of these incredibly saturated 
photos of families in Manchester and, you know, people out shopping really give this high gloss feeling to something that's everyday and, and normal. And it's as if that's how people would like to see their lives in a way. Uh, well, possibly. I mean, you know, the other thing to remember is, you know, I have a responsibility to try and make an engaging picture. You know, so if it's entertaining and it's bright and colorful and strong in design, then that's a head start because it means, you know, people can be drawn in. Uh, and then if they want to take that image seriously beyond the entertainment value, then there is a serious message there, but you have to sort of look for it. And it's not up to me to tell you exactly what it is. You have to discover it on your own terms. When did you discover that entertainment value was important to your work? Um, well, I guess that really happened when I changed from black and white to color in 82. You know, that's, if you like, the turning point when, um, you know, the pictures became more entertaining because just by nature, colorful picture, you know, color pictures, more colorful, more bright, you know, stronger than a sort of black and white. I find that it's really this brilliant thing that they're very bright, but they're not sensationalist in, in any way. You're not, there's humor to the pictures, but you're not sending up the scenes. They're not, mm -hmm. there's a low key gaudiness, but it's not over the top. It never exceeds the boundary of, of the reality, which it's set in. Okay. Well, thank you. That, that's a <laughs> statement. I'm not going to disagree with it. You've shot all over the UK. You did a series in 2008 called Guardian Cities, where you were commissioned to chronicle everyday life throughout the country. In reporting that series, do you use the word reporting for yourself ever? Uh, not really. I mean, just to explain that particular project where the Guardian commissioned me to do eight cities, eight national cities, so, which is all I went and did. And it was a fantastic commission, you know, because you had a chance to create a a 16-page uh, zine on that city, which, you know, you helped to uh, design, you helped to select the pictures, write the captions. Uh, so it's probably the best uh, magazine editorial assignment I'll ever have. Uh, and uh, that's just before, you know, the financial fight, you know, happened in 2008. So I got, I got in and it was all arranged before that really sort of took off. So, yeah, it, it's probably impossible to do now. Your work has always explored inclusivity and racial relations. That's obviously a, a hot topic, but it's always been a part of of your work. Tell me why it's mattered to you uh, to make your photography inclusive. Uh, well, I believe that you know photography is very democratic and therefore very inclusive as well. And uh, you know, within Britain, we're we're quite class dominated, so I've made it my job to photograph all the classes at some point. Uh, so I, didn't, I don't want to be associated with just one class and one depiction, even though I'm classically middle class myself. You know, I've photographed people who are wealthier than me and, and people who are more working class, as well as my middle class compatriots. Hmm. Is there one class that's more interesting for you to shoot than any other? I mean, they're all interesting. You know, I just love photographing people, basically. So I put them all into one class, which is people. And, um, you, you know, anyone who grows tired of watching people and observing them uh, is going to be grown tired of life. So, uh, you know, that's what keeps me going, really. What is a good workday like for you? Well, they, they vary enormously. I mean, um, today I haven't taken a photo. Yesterday I was out shooting and uh, doing some admin, signing some prints. You know, so every day is really different. 
So I can't really say this is sort of general pattern. You know, if you're on assignment or doing a, a project for yourself, you're working pretty hard. So it's either feast or famine with terms of taking photographs, basically. Yeah, I mean, I know for for me, a good workday is really being able to dig into a project in the field and really meeting people and talking to them and trying to ask some good questions and, and getting some good answers. So for me, I think it's really about that engagement. There's a real high that kind of goes along with that, even, you know, 20, 25 years into the this career as a journalist. It doesn't go away. No, no, I, I can go along with that quite easily. We're, we're just signing the prints. You know, about uh, 10 days ago, we did a studio over a weekend where we invited people in to have their portrait taken. And we're just printing these. Now I'm just signing them yesterday so we can send them back out to the clients. So this is something we do as a fundraiser for the foundation and something we do about every 18 months or so. And it's always a great day. People bring in their dogs, their kids, their cats, their hens, everything. What's the price for something like that? Uh, two fifty pound plus you get a free sign print. That's a good. That's a good deal. Two fifty for a Martin Parr for a good cause. Exactly, unique uh, collaboration. Yeah. Uh, you have some really interesting work that's going to hang in the Nomad Hotel, the sponsor of our show, and uh, I, I know they were chosen prior to the civil unrest of twenty twenty, but they both happen to be photos featuring police officers, which of course is is germane to the history of the building where the the hotel is it being the bow street magistrates court but one of the photos is of a black police officer in zimbabwe and one of the photos is of a white police officer i think at the black country museum in in england and i just found the choices to be almost eerily prescient well it's a very interesting request that we had from them and you know i went onto the uh into my archive and looked at pictures of uh, the featured policemen and and these are some of the ones that we came up with and these are the ones that they ultimately ordered. So first off, uh, you know, I went to Zimbabwe many years ago. I think it might be 20 years ago. And uh, there was a shopping center there, which I think at the time was being probably at the cutting edge of shopping centers in, uh, in uh, Zimbabwe. And it was very interesting to see that, uh, you know, still with that colonial twinge and connection to the past, the, uh, the security guards there were dressed, uh, you know, dressed like English bobbies, English policemen hence the policeman's hat. And this I found irresistible and therefore photographed it. And then with the uh, Black Country uh, Museum, this is like a living museum uh, and it takes you back into the history of the working class movement in what's called the Black Country. And it's called the Black Country because that's where they manufactured things like chains and they had uh, forges. So it's very much to do with the industrial revolution in the UK. That, of course, is now all past, and uh, there are very few manufacturing companies left. But they have uh, rebuilt factories, they've rebuilt the shops, and uh, this is a policeman dressed in a uniform from maybe a few years back, playing on the streets with the kids in, in uh, basically a reproduction of a, of a sort of, uh, you know, uh, working-class terrace row from, say, <laughs> say, 50 years ago. It's fascinating because anybody who sees these photos in the in the hotel is going to read them as probably real cops, you know, and but it's very interesting to know that they're about ideas of of policing and almost costume policing, which is a fascinating construct to think about in a way that the police as as the, the social hero and, and, and the protector and the wearer of a cape, essentially. Yeah, they're really great. They're really great images. 
Are there professions that that you find, you know, irresistible to shoot in given periods of time? Do certain things hold your interest for periods of your career and then kind of fade into the background? Is there a time when all you want to do is shoot firefighters and then investment bankers become interesting and then people who sell chestnuts on on the street? Um, well, there are certain themes like, uh, as I've already mentioned, tourism and consumerism and the beach, which constantly pop up. And then there'll be, you know, what we call a cultural commission. This is where you get commission, not for a magazine, but for a museum where they invite you, if you like, to take a set of pictures about a particular city, often where the show is going to be held. And uh, that's quite different. And there you would look at all aspects of life, you know, looking in the factories, looking in offices. You know, I've been to uh, last year I was in Dublin shooting the high tech offices that, uh, that are there. And, uh, you know, each project is quite different, really. So although I have these sort of basic themes I keep coming back to, there are specific projects that you explore as you go along. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that variety, really. Would you say that your your curiosity is omnivorous in a way, or anything's kind of fair game? Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a nosy person, uh, and I can justify this nosiness by having a camera around my neck, because you can walk in anywhere and say, hey, I'd like to do a picture. Uh, do you mind? And, and people generally, uh, you know, are, are sort of agreeable to that concept. But the camera, if you like, is an excuse to go and meet people and find out what's happening and see what their stories are. Many of your photos toe this line between humor and, and compassion, which if, you know, is a really kind of high stakes place to walk, because if you lean too far towards the humor, it becomes a joke where a joke's not appropriate. And if you go too far in the other way, it becomes overly sort of sentimental and loses its sense of serious and, and social gravity. How do you do that? Uh, well, I mean, if you look at the human race, you have to have a chuckle, really. You know, I mean, you can't separate out the humor and the fun and the predictable nature of human behavior without sort of, if you like, celebrating that. Uh, so at the same time, you know, there's a sadness and a humor, which I think run parallel. And one of the things I'm looking for is that, uh, that sort of tension between those two poles, which you just mentioned. So you're absolutely right. That's... Um, it's one of the continuums of the work. And it's finding a way of expressing that uh, tension, if you like, and that conundrum, which is a challenge and, and one that, uh, you know, you constantly come back to and, uh, and keeps you going, sustains you. Another interesting choice throughout a lot of your work are, are the angles that, at which you shoot. I always wonder what does it look like from behind the camera? You know, I'm quite tall, so I'm, I'm over two meters high. Uh, and that means often I'm shooting, just sort of bending over slightly, just to sort of get that. To, so I'm sort of head on to the scene in front of me. If you look down on something, you do get, uh, you know, with a wide angle lens, you do get that distortion, which I don't particularly like. It becomes too stylistic, you know, it, and I'm a great believer in uh, content over style. In truth. No, not, don't, I don't really believe in truth. I'm a great believer in subjectivity. I want my my own personal truth about a subject rather than the truth because the truth doesn't really exist you shoot a lot of families what are your requirements for your own family photos uh i mean i don't really do so many now but when we had the you know we have just one daughter and i photographed her i'd photograph her crying i'd photograph her doing everything you know I, i wasn't wary about just getting the smiley picture i quite like the idea of 
of babies crying because um, that's so much part of who they are. Uh, and in one sense, it's off the general sort of uh, trend to photograph kids. You know, people always want everyone smiling. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, if I'm doing a portrait, I'll try and make them not smile. While as, when I did a portrait studio, I did both a somber look and a funny look. And ultimately, probably people do choose the, the smiley picture. But it's their choice, you know, but I've got the other ones if I ever want them. Our show's called Common Decency. I'm asking everyone who appears on it how the notion of common decency figures into their work. Well, uh, it's very similar to a project I did called Common Sense, where I looked at uh, close-up pictures of all the world, looking at the flotsam and jetsam, and there's something that sort of rang true between all these pictures. I mean, common decency is something that uh, I'd like to see a bit more of. I mean, in America, right at the moment, um, it seems to have gone out of the pan. So hopefully uh, you will be able to reinstall that and um, put it back on. But uh, at the moment, because we're just doing this interview during the uh, presidential count, it's all looking a bit dodgy. But um, who knows? So, yeah, it's quite an interesting idea. I mean, you know, I hope I'm a decent person, and I, I imagine you are as well. You look it, Harry. <laughs> that's, a ni- that's a nice compliment. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how we, we're getting dark here now, look. I see. Light, the light is fading. I see. It, um, it's now 20 to 5 here, and uh, it's going to be dark anymore. My wife is out looking for barn owls, just <laughs> before you ask. <laughs> is she going to be successful finding barn owls? Well, they have. We have located a, a, an area where the barn owl hangs out. So we've seen it. She's seen it there twice. I've seen it once. So she's taken a friend there tonight. So hopefully it'll be there because I think it lives there. This is the big, the big Friday night in Bristol. Is find the barn owl. Friday night, they're all out. Those barn owls, just when the light's fading, because obviously they do a lot of maneuvering in, in the dark, but. Uh, it means you can't really see them then. So this is the ideal time for barn owls. Well, I will let you go as your day turns to <laughs> evening. I've really enjoyed this conversation, Martin. Thank you very much, Harry. Yeah. Thanks so much, Martin. Take care. Okay, cheers. Bye-bye. That was photographer Martin Parr. You can learn more about his work at martinparr.com and more about his efforts to support British photography at martinparrfoundation.org. You can see featured works from Martin at The Nomad London. For reservations, it's www.thenomadhotel.com London. Thank you for listening to Common Decency. Our show is produced by Rob Corso, Casey Kahn, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Andrew Zobler is the executive producer. Our theme music is by John Palmer. Special thanks to Isadora McKeon, Kristen Millar, and Stefan Merriweather. Common Decency will return soon with a brand new guest. This is Common Decency, a Nomad London podcast. Checking out 